Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us today for the conversation, glad to welcome back Dan Villalon of AQR Capital Management. Dan serves as the co-head of the Portfolio Solutions Group. Uh, joining us here from the UBS Chief Investment Office, glad to welcome back Dan Scanzaroli. Uh, Dan serves as head of Portfolio Strategy as well as UBS Wealthway Solutions for the Americas. Our conversation today will actually revisit one we all had about a year ago, that being considerations when it comes to investing in alternatives, uh, namely hedge funds, and how investing in alternatives can help to achieve portfolio diversification and protect against a market downturn. So plenty to cover today, Dan. Dan, it's great to have the Dans all back together. Welcome back to UBS On Air. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners, our clients, and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. As we've been talking about, as I alluded to, portfolio diversification, a topic today we spoke about about a year ago, as relevant today as it was then, maybe to set the stage knowing how rocky 2022 has been for the markets. We have seen a lot of volatility. This is a product of recession fears, inflation concerns, aggressive monetary policy. The list goes on. The level set a bit, Dan Villalon, looking out over, let's say, the next six to 12 months, what's your market? Market and macro outlook. Typically speaking, when, when you ask someone from AQR what their outlook is, normally you'll get kind of a five to 10 year answer. Um, over that horizon, we are bearish. We're bearish a range of uh, traditional assets, think stocks and bonds. Um, this view is based primarily on valuations. In other words, you know, how expensive or how cheap is the market? And Today, we find most markets to be pretty expensive. So that's kind of the longer term. But over the shorter term, so Dan, your question was, you know, next uh, six to 12 months, well, we're also fairly bearish. Uh, and we actually have been basically all year. Uh, many of our directional strategies, so these would be strategies that kind of bet on the direction of markets, whether they're going up or down, um, many of those strategies have been short a very broad range of assets and fairly consistently all year. Uh, so very high level, I would say that the current environment is one that's marked both by longer term headwinds and also shorter term headwinds uh, for most asset classes that investors have in their portfolios. Uh, Dan Scanzarelli from the vantage point of the UBS Chief Investment Office. What's the market macro outlook considering what markets have experienced over the past few months? What does the path forward perhaps look like from here? The path forward in the next six to 12 months, as you alluded to, it's going to continue to focus on what the Federal Reserve is able to accomplish in terms of bringing down inflation and, you know, record, uh, record low, um, you know, unemployment and you know, those, those really strong rising uh, wages that we've seen, all, you know, with how that policy is going to play out without sending the U.S. into a recession. And that, that's, that's ultimately their goals. And, and when, we're looking, when we're looking at that, you know, our base case scenario, UBS, uh, with a 50% probability is that the rate hikes that the Fed is doing see the economy grow below trend um, but markets remain quite volatile in the meantime. We don't expect markets to bottom uh, until the Fed pivots, and we don't believe that will happen anytime soon. Um, inflation is likely to come down 
um, this year and into the next year, but it's also likely to still remain above that 2% target in the next 6 to 12 months. And because of that, we think that equity markets would generally stay at or slightly above their current levels um, if they are able to actually pull off this relatively soft landing. There is an upside scenario, which we, we're currently putting around a 20% chance around, which is that markets could see a surprise realization of lower inflation and lower wage growth, allowing the Fed to actually pause sooner, you know, as we think about when the markets could reflate. Um, and if they're able to you know, pause sooner uh, than markets are expecting and economic growth remains robust, um, that could see equity markets grind higher. Um, you know, it's a lower probability event, and it may seem overly op optimistic, but it really could materialize uh, as we see supply chain challenges and PPI service-side inflation data are all showing signs that we may be posed for a fall in inflation more quickly and anticipated, even with that higher inflation print uh, that we saw this month. So the risk from here, though, is that either we have a slump where you know, persistent inflation continues to weaken the economy um, and causes a recession in the near term, or we could actually have a head fake scenario where the economy actually holds up for a while um, and inflation seems to be going in the right direction, but then inflation actually still is remaining too far above target and forcing the, head, the Fed to go even higher and induce a hard landing later in 2023. So, you know, on the downside, you know, that we're putting about a 30% chance that happens where there's either a more immediate uh, slump uh, going into year end or this gets more drawn out uh, over the long term. Overall, given that uncertainty around growth and the path of rates, you know, similar to what Dan had said, it's, it's likely that markets are, you know, likely to, to you know, remain rage bound. It doesn't have us very positive on, you know, markets grinding up from here and that volatility is likely to be seen in both the fixed income and the equity space. Um, this year, that volatility, you know, has caused a shift in winners and losers, where equity-oriented uh, factors like value and high dividend size and low volatility, volatility has driven outperformance relative to the, to the S&P 500. Um, you know, we've seen value outperform growth by 14% this year after a very cold winter in the last seven years where growth stocks outperformed value in very select you know, concentrated ways. Um, and we really think that's going to be advantageous to seeing active managers perform with, because of that higher dispersion in different investment styles. To that point, when volatility presents itself, and as mentioned, 2022 has delivered investors quite a lot of market volatility. Investors, of course, want to know, well, how can I proactively protect against downside activity in the markets, a sudden shock, perhaps? Uh, Dan Villalon, what are some alternative approaches investors might want to consider in order to protect against bad outcomes in the markets? So bad outcomes are something that we have been thinking about at AQR uh, pretty consistently over the past two years or so. Kind of, kind of if you guys remember the COVID drawdown, I mean, it, it seems almost like a distant memory now. Um, and thinking, okay, well, does, does that particular type of drawdown, is there something we can learn from that or is that sort of atypical? atypical in terms of how drawdowns, in terms of how market risk kind of manifests itself. And so one way of thinking about drawdowns, one way of thinking about portfolio risk 
is to kind of categorize, kind of split drawdowns into sort of two things, two, two types. One would be uh, fast drawdowns. Uh, that would be like the COVID uh, shock. And the other would be slower drawdowns. Now, the bad news is that when it comes to fast, kind of bolt from the blue style uh, drawdowns uh, or, or market losses, uh, there is little that tends to reliably work. Uh, some strategies like uh, portfolio uh, insurance or portfolio protection or, or options-based strategies, uh, those tend to be the ones that, that work with the highest probability. Now, that they have their faults. They, they tend to be expensive and so forth. Um, but the good news, you know, that's, that's sort of the bad news. The good news for investors is that those types of drawdowns don't really come around all that often. The ones that tend to be, uh, call it, more dangerous for the accumulation of investor wealth are the slower drawdowns, the, the risks that take longer to unfurl. Um, now, the, the silver lining with that is at least for those slower drawdowns, there's a range of strategies that we have found uh, can be pretty effective, pretty effective at either uh, saving money or even making it in, in, in those environments. Um, so the, the first thing you can do for these types of more serious, these more protracted drawdowns, uh, uh, one quick note, I would consider 2022 to be in this category, uh, sort of this protracted drawdown. Um, the first thing you can do is, is just, Diversify more. Um, diversification doesn't save you from a bad month. It doesn't save you from a bad quarter. Um, but we find uh, empirically, you know, when we look at the data and also theoretically that diversification should do a decent job saving you from a bad year or a bad multi-year period. Uh, other stuff you can do uh, going a little bit further in terms of more active strategies. Uh, there are a few types of strategies, a few types of investment themes that seem to do better than average uh, during bad times. Uh, one would be sort of a quality-based or kind of quality-oriented uh, stock selection strategy. Almost by definition, you would expect that to do well in terms of flights to quality when, when the world is sort of falling apart. Um, the other would be kind of macro-oriented strategies, ones that kind of uh, either follow trends in markets to kind of capitalize on the fact that a, that a drawdown is unfurling uh, kind of slowly, uh, or others that are based more on sort of economic um, macro themes. Uh, what we find is economic news tends to persist, and so a strategy that kind of bases itself, positions itself uh, long or short because of economic news uh, often uh, does quite well uh, when markets are seeing these sort of these slower, kind of more damaging uh, drawdowns to, to investor portfolios. So, so those are the ones that uh, AQR uh, tends to focus on when it comes to this question of, okay, well, what can you do to a portfolio to better insulate it against uh, market risks? Thank you, Dan. I know we want to get into risk considerations as well. Very important. We'll do so in a few moments. Though, Dan Scanceroli, from where you sit at the UBS Chief Investment Office, when having conversations with clients about how to consider an approach in this context, alternatives, the role alternatives could play in a portfolio, what kind of guidance do you offer? What, what's your thinking there? Typically, in, in markets, in markets, when we're thinking about those downside risks that you mentioned before, um, the standard playbook is to look to your bonds, 
right? And and we've seen that that, that hasn't worked this year, right? Which is which is one of the reasons why we should be having this conversation around what is the role of return as alternatives and how they fit in the portfolio. I mean, we had equities and we had bonds decline simultaneously, 12% on U.S. ag bonds this year, um, while equities declined 17%. And that's 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 what we would expect in in a high inflationary environment where the res, the Fed is raising rates. So we do expect that to normalize and provide more diversification benefits, but it's going to take some time for that to materialize. As it relates directly to the to the hedge fund space, you know, as we see that likely continuation of volatility in the equity and rates market in the next six, 12 months, we see significant benef- benefits from multi-strategy hedge funds, but particularly long-short equity funds, uh, macro funds, similar to what Dan was mentioning, and relative value credit funds. And generally speaking, uh, diversified multi-strategy hedge fund portfolio, similar to, let's say, the HFRI fund-weighted composite index, has captured about 30% of equity drawdowns and about 45% of the monthly advances since 2000. That asymmetry has a lot of advantages to a portfolio in terms of compounding returns and offering differentiated uh, diversification that can, that can help not just mitigate risk, but actually drive future returns over longer periods of time. When markets are range-bound and the VIX is high like it is right now, it's above 26 uh, yes, those hedging strategies that, that everybody looks to, they're expensive, as Dan mentioned before, um, but managers focused on long-short equities, relative value credit, um, they have enhanced opportunities to capture outperformance of one security relative to another while limiting the portfolio's market exposure. And, you know, even with the large drawdowns in credit this year where spread, you know, went extremely wide and then came back, um, the HFRI relative value index, those relative value managers have only produced a loss of 0.5% as of the end of August year to date. Um, furthermore, as we look to that macro space, environments where there's high dispersion between economies, asset classes, monetary policy, they all tend to be ideal for global macro strategies. These strategies have very little correlation to the market cycle and therefore have just demonstrated strong diversification and risk mitigation properties in a portfolio. Since 2010, macro managers have been really kind of shunned because they faced a lot of headwinds due to low rates in the U.S., negative rates internationally, subdued commodity prices, and a mostly one-directional roaring equity market, which, as Dan talked about, is not the environment that's ideal for, for hedge fund strategies. All those things have, have come up to, to you know, shift the tides for macro managers that we expect to persist over the next six to 12 months as rates have risen and global central banks are all in different phases of monetary policy in their economic cycle. And this means that mac- macro managers have been one of the few areas actually to produce a positive return year-to-date. They're up about 9.3% so far this year when equities and fixed income are seeing double-digit losses. Running with return profile a bit further, Dan Villalon, anything there you would like to expand on? And definitely worth a few moments now that we understand the approaches. It's also helpful to understand the risk considerations associated with these approaches. What can you share with us there, Dan? I've been thinking a long time now about what makes uh alternatives or, or kind of diversifiers uh, so hard uh, to, to hold. Uh, and, and I think 
that the trickiest thing about their return profile, the hardest thing for investors, I increasingly believe, is that their returns uh, are different than the returns of sort of the traditional parts of, of a portfolio. Uh, in other words, the, the objective of these strategies is also the challenge in, in holding them. It, it's kind of like exercise. You know, the, the whole point is that exercise is supposed to be hard. You know, if it's not hard, you're probably not doing it right. You're probably not exercising hard enough. I think that's the same thing when it comes to these strategies that we're talking about, these diversifiers or, or these alternatives. You know, the, the whole reason that you want them in the portfolio is that they behave differently, that there's a chance for it to kind of hold up okay when the rest of the world isn't. Um, but I think that's exactly what makes them hard to hold. You know, the inevitable month or quarter that comes along where the traditional parts of your portfolio, your stocks, your bonds, where, where they do well and your diversifiers do poorly, that's the hardest thing about their return profile, I, I think. Um, Okay, so uh, I don't. I, I want to be kind of constructive <laughs> with my answer here. So there are two solutions. I, I think two things that can kind of help make the return profile of, of these strategies, of these diversifiers or these risk mitigators, to, to make them a little bit easier to actually be held in a portfolio. I think the first is to reduce what's known as their line item risk kind of their individual kind of variability or, or dispersion or, or how much they zig when the rest of the portfolio zags. Um, so if you're going to diversify, if you're going to be kind of more alternative, if you're going to be different, I, I think one way to mitigate the risk of being different is to make sure that those diversifiers, those alternatives are themselves diversified. So in other words, if, if you are going to incorporate some alternative or some risk mitigator in your portfolio, uh, try to make sure it's not just one. Kind of split the allocation across different strategies or, or different managers, and that's one way of kind of minimizing that, that line item risk, kind of the, the cost of being different, uh, so to speak. The second thing, uh, if, if the first is to diversify your diversifiers, the second thing would just be, the second idea would be the amount. Uh, make sure that you don't have so much that you would be kind of forced to sell uh, at, at a bad time. This is something that affects all sorts of investors uh, from endowments and foundations, institutions, uh, all the way through uh, retail where sizing is key. You never want to have so much that you're forced to make a decision that you, that you wouldn't otherwise um, a little bit of diversification is better than none at all. And I think that is sort of uh, an important thing to, to keep in mind when it comes to figuring out, okay, how much should I have in, in a portfolio? Thank you, Dan. A lot of valuable considerations there. Dan Scanzarelli, anything there you would like to build off of with respect to risk considerations or return profiles? I think one of the bigger challenges, uh, which Dan was talking about, is the purpose of of, of you know, alternative investing, particularly around hedge funds in your portfolio, you know, and understanding when they actually perform. You know, it, it, you know, we we talked about how when there's really quick moves on the downside, hedge funds hedge funds can get caught up into that temporarily, um, and you know, they while they will mitigate those risks, um, you know, it, it does become much more of a headwind 
in those scenarios for them to generate, you know, positive returns. You know, um, and the same thing happens on the other side, which is to compare a hedge fund, for instance, to the S&P when the S&P is, is grinding higher and higher and higher, like we saw, you know, in the, in the 10 years prior to COVID. You know, it wasn't surprising that hedge funds had struggled in that environment to keep up with equities because it was all one directional. The ideal environment for hedge funds and where they fit in your portfolio is when, when markets are range-bound and volatile and they really focus their profiles around differentiated returns that are more efficient per unit of risk than what's in the traditional markets. And, you know, more specifically, to get into the you know, the, the nitty gritty on some of the risks, you know, long, sh- long, short equity managers, they need that dispersion in sectors and factors like momentum quality, which we, which we've seen coming into markets um, and single equities, all to generate returns. And they, and, and they often maintain a slight long bias to equity markets. And you need to right size that um, as they're focusing on generating those uncorrelated alphas. Um, but they're also shorting on the other side their long positions in order to constrain those risks and be dynamic about how they're managing them. Generally, the risk management overlay creates a profile that mitigates risks, that those downside risks by about 50% from, for the average long short equity manager, allowing them to have that uncorrelated stock picking alpha to really play a large role in generating positive returns when equities are range bound. But as I mentioned before, when equities go aggressively into bear market territory, they get, get, can get pulled down into that negative return. And this year has been an example of that. We've seen as the S&P was down 16% by the end of August, year to date, long short equity managers on average were down about 10. They mitigated downside risk, but the 6% outperformance was not enough to produce positive returns. In the relative value to credit space, managers tend to produce better returns when rates are higher and spreads are wider, which, as I mentioned before, has has served them well in this environment, and we would expect rates to be even more advantageous to the strategy going forward. These strategies are definitely more insulated from equity and high-yield market trends. However, during large credit crunches, uh, they have seen low double-digit drawdowns. Lastly, on the macro side, much more idiosyncratic relative to traditional markets posing the strongest diversification benefits of the hedge fund strategies. Their drawdowns have historically come with other, um, when other asset classes are actually aggressively moving higher, um, which, you know, is a good property to have in a portfolio, but, you know, it can often make you question if markets are moving higher, why do I hold this? Well, it's for those scenarios when, mar- when markets are moving sideways or down where it's going to help generate positive returns as we've seen this year. Um, you know, we really need dispersion of returns in the SX commodity rates and equity markets in order for them to generate returns, which is the environment we see ourselves in. A lot of valuable takeaways across the board. I know we're beginning to come to the end of our time together today, and you've both left our advisors, our listeners, our clients with a lot to digest and consider perhaps for follow-up conversations, especially for clients with their UBS financial advisor. Before we close out, maybe we can hit on some final thoughts or takeaways. Dan Scanceroli will provide our guest and Villalon with the final word. So, Dan, I'll first ask you any final thoughts or takeaways ways you would like to leave us with today? 
I'd just like to reiterate that markets are likely to continue to be volatile in the next six to 12 months, and that's creating opportunities for active managers and alternative strategies to contribute to manage downside risk, but focus on you know capturing those non-traditional return drivers in the market, the dispersion between valuations, the dispersion between asset class returns, the dispersion in different economic policy as we see the ECB tightening at a, at, at a different pace than the U.S. in a different phase of the economic cycle. Um, with the simultaneous drawdown that we discussed in equities and fixed income this year and the prospect of lower growth potential in those traditional assets, it really is essential that portfolios diversify with non-traditional idiosyncratic opportunities that can manage those downside risks, capture the potential for outperformance as well, and hedge funds they can really pose an attractive solution, particularly because of their risk and active management focus um, in the portfolio. All right. So this is going to be uh, partially uh, an echo on, on Dan S. Fully agree. I think diversification is probably more important today than it's been in our investment lifetimes. Uh, we are at a uniquely uh, difficult uh, uh, environment when it, when it comes to investing today. A range of things are uh, expensive and have short-term headwinds. The opportunity, though, um, is in what Dan S. just alluded to, uh, macro volatility, uh, volatility in asset classes uh, have created a range of opportunities. It sort of expanded the possibilities for a range of uh, active strategies, um, and in a world of very expensive markets, uh, active management might be relatively cheap today and thus relatively uh, attractive in terms of where do you go for diversification in a portfolio. Well, uh, Dan Villala and Dan Scanceroli, glad that we were able to get together again for another conversation. A lot here to take away, a lot here to consider for our advisors, our clients, our listeners. And looking forward as market conditions continue to evolve, to track everything quite closely and follow up with other conversations in the future. Though, Thank you for your time today and for joining us here on UBS On Air Market Moves. Always fun getting the Dan's back together. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Hope to do it again soon. Timeframes may vary. Strategies are subject to individual client goals, objectives, and suitability. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial results can or will be achieved. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.